A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello. Welcome to Everything is Fine, a podcast for women over 40. I'm Kim France. And I'm Talia Bacassis. Today we've got writer, editor, and author Jennifer Romolini on as a guest. Jennifer wrote the fantastic book, Weird in a World That's Not, A Career Guide for Misfits, and was formerly the chief content officer of Shondaland.com, as well as editor-in-chief of Hello Giggles and Yahoo Shine. She was also deputy editor of Lucky Magazine, which is where I had the pleasure of making her acquaintance. Welcome, Jennifer. Hi, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> That's where you say hi. <laughs> I decided I, it was. <laughs> Tell us about your book. What made you write it? Well, I wrote the book because it was in a time in my life, I was working at Hello Giggles and I was working with a lot of younger women. And it was also a time where there were a lot of career guides coming out. There was the time of Lean In and Girl Boss and lots of other like, you know, hands on your hips, stilettos, like strutting around, like you can do it. You're a badass career guides. And what I was seeing in the worlds that I was working in, the writers I was editing and the, the people I was managing was they really felt really insecure and lost the way that work had changed was we didn't really have so much apprenticeship as we had had before. So people weren't being trained on the sort of basics, the fundamentals of like how to write an email. You know, I'd had somebody come into my office at one point with her LinkedIn screen open saying, somebody's asking me about another job. And I remember <laughs> saying to her, you know, I can't see this. <laughs> you know. So I wanted to write a book that was the fundamentals, but that also spoke to women and said, look, there's a different picture of success. And, and this picture of success is awkward, and it's not polished, and it's not poised. And I thought that if I painted that awkward picture of success, like you're not going to change your fundamental being in order to be all these things you want. If I could paint that picture for young women, that they would be more likely to go after things, right? Because if we see this idea of like this thing that's totally different from us as the only idea of success, then that makes us feel like, oh, I could never be that. So that's, that's why I wrote it. And I also wanted to just dispel a lot of things about work and working and, you know, 
I don't think anybody really talks about how intimate work is, how emotional it is, or at least they weren't then. It's funny because you describe people as just feeling like you might be a little bit different kind of thing. And I found myself really relating to a lot of what you said in the book. And I don't think of myself as weird. So it's for people who are a little less polished kind of thing, because I do think of myself as less polished. Yeah, I'm emotionally clumsy. I'm physically clumsy. But like that didn't mean that I couldn't get big jobs, right? It didn't mean that just because I was like stumbling around or had a stain on my pants, I wasn't also a successful executive. You know, it wasn't (laughs) or it was and, Uh right? And like, I'm I'm still a mess and I'm still successful. So that was really important to me. But also just like I wanted to have compassion, you know, for people who don't know what to do with their hands and <laughs> for just the people who just always feel like off a step because that's how I always feel in the world. The people who are told they're too much or they're too sensitive and all of that. Mm. Some of the advice is so refreshing and it's literally what nobody tells you. Like, don't freak out about your resume. Nobody reads it. Don't fluff it up. (laughs) Did you feel like you were just tearing down everything in the canon of career literature when you wrote it? Yes. I mean, look, books are for ourselves, right? They're the books that we need often. And it was certainly the book that I had needed when I was younger. But I also, I had a vendetta because I was reading all of these bullshit career advice books that were like, you know, probably, let's be honest, not even written by many of these women, ghost written by somebody else. And I I was sitting there going, this doesn't matter. Don't tell somebody to spend fucking four days on a cover letter. Nobody gives a shit about a cover letter. <laughs> you know, you have to have it and here's what you have to have in it. And I I wanted it to be reassuring. And I I wanted to say what I thought and what I'd seen. I was also obsessed with work because I started my career late and I was in like a race to get ahead. You know, I kind of like floundered around in my 20s. I had some real fuck ups and traumas and and then by my late 20s, I started a job as an assistant when I was 28. And, you know, by the time I was 35, I was an editor in chief. So in that seven years, or maybe even earlier, but in that seven years, I was just in a very, like, obsessed with work. So it was all I thought about. So I had quite a bit to write about. Hmm. Um, you told me you want to write a career guide called Big Fuck Off Energy, a career guide for when you're out of fucks about negotiating your career <laughs> after the initial swell is over. Can you tell us about that? Yes. I mean, I don't know if I don't know if I'll sell it as that title. I mean, for It's a great okay, title. So, yeah. I feel like what happens to us is and particularly women of of our age and women a little bit younger than us, you know, who were told this sort of have it all generations, oh, yeah. right? And at some point, most of us find out that that was just a bunch of bullshit, that, 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 that we're sold a bunch of lies. You know, at the peak of my career, when I had a giant job that people wanted, I was like one of those people that people were like, how'd she get that job? I could feel that I was one of those people. <laughs> I had like a, a giant, impressive job. I had I had a book that came out that people really seemed to like. You know, I had like magazines writing, like, how'd you get that life? You know, all that shit, you know, tell, tell me your diary of your food. And <laughs> I've been I, waiting for somebody to ask me that stuff. Exa- well, of course we all do. Right. Yeah. But, but okay. So, so I'm in that moment of this big success, external success. And the rest of my life is just garbage, right? My, my child is totally struggling. My marriage is in trouble. I've outsourced everything. And I had this moment of real crisis where I realized, you know, that I was hiding behind work. 
and mm. and it was a crisis because it just didn't work. It was not it was not sustainable. It was not sustainable to live the way I wanted to live and live my values and my values being I love my partner and I want to show up for my kid and show up for work at that intense level. It just was not possible, right? So it was a crisis and you know things kind of fell apart and then I spent a year really like, "Oh my god, what do I want now? What am I worth? What's my value?" And I started to think about, and I felt kind of broken, right? Because I, I wound up getting fired from that huge job. And mm. I, I felt kind of broken. And, you know, getting fired is like a whole thing that we could spend a whole episode on. Oh, um, yeah. But, and, 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 you know, I, and should. Um, but I felt kind of broken. And then I spent like a year kind of rebuilding what I wanted. And in that, rebuilding, I really had to think about like the fucks that I gave and the fucks that I didn't anymore. And I needed to examine what I wanted out of work right now. And I had to start to redefine success for myself and not get fixated on a lot of things that I thought were important that were honestly no longer important to me, but I was holding on to. Hmm. Like, for example, like the way things look to the outside world, right? So I wound up taking, like, after this, I said, like, what did, what did I want out of work? Well, I wanted to spend time with my kid. I still needed to make a certain amount of money. I still liked content to some degree. I wanted to be able to travel here and there. So I took a job, a weed job, marijuana. <laughs> weed is it? I took a job as, like, the, the editor-in-chief of a weed site that was based in Ireland. So I had to work every day. <laughs> from like six to one and like I had a lot of flexibility and I went to Ireland every two months for a week and my husband was fine with that my daughter was fine with that because I was so present the other times so I had all this travel and all these adventures but also was able to be there for my family and when I took the job people were like are you crazy like Hmm. what you can't follow up this one thing with this other thing and also you know the title isn't what your old title was but they were paying me really well and it was interesting and it suited me in that moment. And mm-hmm. like, you know, I left that job in December and I've since gotten new opportunities. It's like we also think like once we take one, once we make a turn, that's it. This, this is it. If I do this thing, nobody's ever going to want me again. We make these like really like cataclysmic, you know, decisions about what we can and can't do and we box ourselves in. What I think is interesting about you, Jennifer, is that you really do practice beginner's mind. Like you went and got an internship at a podcast studio recently, right? Yes. I mean, you know, well, none of us called it an internship, but I was certainly the intern for, you know, for the first couple of weeks for sure. I mean, I used the skills I knew, like I know how to do a lot of administrative stuff and I know how to manage and I know how to like, you know, whatever it is. I don't, I know, I know the things that I knew how to do were, were some somewhat transferable to a new business, but I'm interested in podcasts, right? I don't know anything about them. And, you know, part of my jobs is like watering the plants and like (laughs) making sure the water gets delivered and cleaning the countertops. And, and it's part time, which actually suits me because I have other projects. But why wouldn't I take that? And when I was talking about my title with, with my boss, who is younger than me, she was like, well, I don't want to give you a bad title. And I was like, I don't care what my title is. Why, why would I care? I'm grateful that you are letting me be here, that you have, you're being generous with your time, that 
you're going to teach me something and I'm going to add value wherever I can add value here in what I know. And that exchange and thinking about things in that way has really helped me seek out new things that I wouldn't have tried. Like where can I add value and what do I want to learn is a much better metric than how does this look? Right. But are you only able to do that because you made money on some previous job kind of thing? I make money in a number of ways, right? I ghost write books. I ghost edit books. I take a lot of behind the scenes stuff. I use the skills mm. I have and I take a lot of behind the scenes work. But I think also we get stuck, right? Like, well, I have to have health insurance. Well, you don't have to have a job with health insurance. You need to be able to make enough money to be able to buy health insurance, right? We keep ourselves, like I said before, like we box ourselves in. And sure, I do need to make a certain amount of money. I didn't make so much money. I, I did have a deal on Hello Giggles, just to answer your question directly. But I didn't make so much money on it. It wasn't like, fuck you. It wasn't like the rest of my life money. <laughs> and that's not what we live on. Um, but I changed my relationship with money. In order to have the life right now that I want, which is being able to dedicate a lot of hours to my kid, I made some changes. I stopped outsourcing so many things. I cleaned my own house, you know, just little things like that. And you start to realize like, as you become super successful, how much you just like throw, it's just like convenience money. Like I'm just throwing that away. I'm throwing that away. I'm throwing that away. And once you plug up those holes, at least for me, I found that I could make less. Um, I think the more you outsource, I found this when I had my high powered job, the more I outsource and the more other people did for me, the more learned helplessness I had. Yes, hmm. I think that's true. And I think that you also lose touch with a kind of reality too. You become a different kind of person. I mean, that's the other thing. Like how much success do you really want? Do you know yourself well enough? Like I've been successful, but I've also been adjacent to real power and real success. And it is... It means giving your life over to it. It is overwhelming. It is exhausting. And that's the reality of it that we don't think about when we're like coveting things on Instagram. Hmm. Like those kinds of positions and being in that kind of demand, it changes every part of your life. Your life is not really your own anymore. No. It's the life of your career. Yeah, no, I definitely found that to be the case with me. And it was, you know, the unhappiest time in my life, as Jennifer can attest having yeah. that kind of success. Um, and so I think you're really right when you say people need to ask themselves, is this what I really want? Right. And can I really commit to this? Can I really commit to this life right now? And the other thing is, is that none of this is fixed, right? You know, we're, we're all getting older. And so we're like, oh my God, this is the end. I mean, I have <laughs> people say this to me, well, you got to get a job now because nobody hires you after you're 50. I refuse to believe that. And I think that it's like another thing it's just like when I was in my 20s and I was like, no one will want me because I'm not good enough. I'm just replacing that with no one will want me because I'm old, right? So this idea that like our definitions of success, they're unique, they're individual, but they're also, they're also temporary, right? This is what I need right now. And this is what success is to me right now is raising my kid, getting her through a hard time. It might change in two years. And I need to be able to have the faith and the, the hope and the confidence in myself that in two years when that changes, something will show, show up and something will come along that is a job that's right for me. Because the other thing is, I don't want to be at a place that thinks I'm too old for the job. 
Mm. I don't want to pretend I'm younger than I am. I don't want to be around people that that's their value system. Why would I want to work for that? Imagine the hideous rot that's inside that company. How old are you? I'm 47. (laughs) Although when Kim asked me the other day how old I was, I forgot. (laughs) (laughs) That happens to me all the time. And then I have to do the math and people think I'm trying to be cute. And I'm like, no, I just, you're just who you are. And you don't think about it that way. You don't think about it that way, but also when you're talking to somebody, like, Kim will always be the age I met her, and I will always be the age I met her. Like, I will always be, I guess I was like 31 when I met you. I will always be 31 in, you know, when I'm around you. It's just <laughs> the way it is. We're going to take a quick break for some ads. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com upgrade. Support for Everything is Fine comes from Ritual. So I love Ritual. Everyone knows I love Ritual. I talk about Ritual all the time. I particularly love its daily, their daily multivitamin. And I also really have been enjoying their melatonin. But the thing I love most about Ritual is their Hyacera. It's a once daily skin supplement that's clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. In a clinical study, Hyacera led to 3.6 times reduction in crow's feet wrinkles within 90 days as compared to a placebo. Hyacera led to 2.9 times increase in skin smoothness within 90 days as compared to a placebo. You can enhance your skincare routine from the inside out with one daily capsule, essenced with soothing vanilla. I love Hyacera. It's been rigorously tested and validated. It's one of the industry-leading sustainability. It it meets, sorry, all of the industry-leading sustainability standards. You know I'm a beauty editor now. I am all about keeping my face plump, and Hyacera absolutely has done that for me. I've been on it for months. I don't even know how long, and I can really see a difference in the texture of my skin. My skin looks more juicy, I guess, is the best way to do it. Say it, do it. Uh, Okay. So you can start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash fine. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription to get today. That's ritual.com slash fine for 25% off. Welcome back to Everything is Fine. 
You said something that interests me a lot, that we should talk about redefining success on your own terms and how hard that is and chasing contentment instead of an external idea of success. Um, I understand about chasing contentment instead of success, but can we talk about the specific kind of satisfaction that seemingly only work provides? Because there's a kind of satisfaction that I got at the end of a day's work back in the old days that I, I can't replicate now. Well, you could, but you would have to take all the bullshit that came with that, right? Like, yeah. I mean, I think that it's like, it's kind of like buying a house, right? Well, I've never bought a house, but this is what I hear. It's kind <laughs> of like buying a house. Um, you know, you have to pick, like, you only get whatever amount of things you get. Like, I want a window in the bathroom. I want a, whatever it is you want. You only get three, right? And I think that's kind of the way it is with jobs. Like, that satisfaction of working collaboratively, which, you know, I think that's what you're talking about is that sort of like, it's not this isolated work, which I have right now. And I think you have right now and Tally, I don't know if you have that too, but hmm. somewhat for the last couple of years, my work has been isolated. I mean, like I'm a ghost, right? Ghost writer, ghost editor. It's just all alone, right? I'm invisible. And I think everybody's experiencing that now with COVID. Like we're all working alone in our homes on Slack or whatever. Totally. It wasn't so much of an adjustment for me. I was like, welcome everyone. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Um, but I think that, yeah, you have to either replace it with new satisfaction. Like I get quite a bit of satisfaction in editing people's work and that does feel collaborative. I'm ghost editing somebody's book right now. And by ghost editing, I mean, because the editors don't help them on their books. So then they call me and they say, could you help me? And you know, whatever, but I'm ghost editing someone's book right now and we talk every week. It's much more intimate than when I was managing a team, obviously, of 25 or 10 or even five. It's much more intimate just working one-on-one -on -one with somebody in a pro on a project. But I do try to seek out those opportunities because I do find just writing to just be way too isolating if I'm doing that only. I try to seek out some collaborative opportunities for myself where I feel like I have that that exchange and that feeling of like, oh, I really helped someone today because that's part of the satisfaction. Like, oh, I really helped those people today and we made a good thing together, at least for me. And again, it's individual. Like, what do you like about work and how can you find it in new ways? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Do you think you were a different person when you were in a power position than you are now? No. And I think that was part of the problem. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think if I had been a different person, it would have went much better. But, you know, I was still super sensitive and, you know, I was not great at managing up. I wasn't Me I was really either. great at I just wasn't great at it because I didn't give enough of a shit and I'm not really good at being a sycophant or, or ass kissing and and I put myself in situations where the job looked good on paper, but in my gut, I kind of knew it wasn't right for me. And I did it a couple of times. And I shouldn't have, because I didn't really want to commit to the roles that those would put me in. I put myself in those positions, but I didn't really have a full buy-in or commitment to what they required, which is, you know, being subservient in some way. And I didn't like it. Hmm. Right. The mentor relationship seems rare. I had a conversation with a friend about this recently where she said like she wants a mentor because she wants to grow professionally. And I just find like we don't really have that structure in place. People don't want to take that on even because it's adding to their work. Well, again, I mean, that's the thing. You're spending so much time managing up, right? And thinking about, 
I guess in some ways I wanted to be good over, I always wanted to be good, right? I always wanted to be good at what I did. So when I became a manager, that became my focus. I wanted to be good to my employees. And that was super important to me. I didn't care about the favor of my boss. But mentorship is, we've like fetishized it, right? It's such an organic thing. You can't force it. It's, it's all about the chemistry you have with the other person. And it's really hard because everybody's looking for it. But it happens most organically when there's chemistry there, but also when you're able to be vulnerable. And that's something that we all have a hard time with, right? The vulnerability in, in saying, I have a lot to teach you. That's a vulnerability too. And the vulnerability of asking to be taught. And I think that if we could be more vulnerable with each other, we'd probably have better working relationships, I think. I don't know. You know, <laughs> that's, what, that's, that's the way it's been for me. It's been highly, I've mentored a lot of people and that's the way it's been for me. I don't know. I feel like the people in my career who've mentored me didn't necessarily know they were my mentors. Oh. Yeah, that's, that's fair too. That's fair too. You know, I think that they were just people I learned a lot from and, you know, studied the success of and got as much out of it as a more formal type of situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the other thing is you can learn a lot from a bad boss, too. That, like, you, like you, if oh, you're yeah, paying Kim attention, said that you're before. learning a lot from, yeah, you're learning a shit ton from a bad boss, right? You're learning every way you don't want to be. Why do you think women so often have a tough time owning their own success? You know, I don't know if I have a real answer to that Mm -hmm. because I do think that we perform, we perform owning our success and maybe Mm. it's because success, I, I think I'd rather, I'd rather say instead of success, I think I'd rather say achievements or accomplishments. If we're afraid of owning our achievements and accomplishments, it's because we're afraid of owning that we're skilled and good, right? Because that, if we, if we admit that, then we have to be comfortable in our skin, which I think most of us aren't. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's part of it because we certainly perform owning our success and achievements all over social media, right? Like, we're like, oh, yay, look at me over here. I did this speaking thing. I did. We're performing these big lives, but I don't know if we really feel like we deserve them or we we own them in real life. I'm I'm not sure actually. I would have said something different a couple of years ago, but I think things have changed so much for millennials that it's hard for me to answer it now. I just see so many people who I think of as being very successful or who have achieved a lot if you want to reframe it that way, who have inside of themselves imposter syndrome that sometimes they'll reveal to you in a moment where they'll say something like, I don't know, I feel insecure about this or blah, blah, blah. And you're like, you feel you're an imposter? Like if you're an imposter, how are any of us going to do anything? I think imposter syndrome is somewhat, I don't know. I feel like it's a little bit of bullshit. I I don't know. I have real problems with imposter syndrome. I have problems with imposter syndrome because... I mean, we all feel like imposters. Is it that we're imposters or that the game is bullshit? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I mean, I just want to flip that around on you, right? Because is the dream really worthy of the dreamer? Is it that we, well, once we get there, we're like, oh, I feel like an imposter because it doesn't feel as good as we thought it was going to feel? No, I, you've, maybe. Whoa. I was just thinking of the feeling 
when somebody asks you to do something or a friend of mine who I just think of as super competent who was asked to do something professionally and she was like, I just don't know if I'm good enough. And from my point of view from the outside, I was like, you're mental. You're so good at this. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Kim, what do you think about imposter syndrome? Well, you know, I mean, I think back to when I got the job at Lucky and I was not who anybody expected Condé Nast to hire to do a job like that. And I knew that I kind of lucked out in getting that job. And it took me a long time to say to myself, no, you have a particular set of skills and an outlook that are making you qualified for this job and more qualified than other people. But that took a while. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess there's like a interplay between that we put so much emphasis on confidence and well, the way I've ever overcome any sort of feeling of imposter syndrome is by just doubling down on being competent. How can I learn more about this? How can I really like, I, I want to learn more. I want to make sure my, I'm skilled here. I want to prove to myself that I can do this. But we put so much into this idea of being confident about it. And I wonder, I, I just, the whole value system I feel like is wrong because we don't really talk about skills as much as we talk about confidence. Right. I think one way I dealt with imposter syndrome was by always acknowledging what I didn't know. Yes. There we go. We there we go. That's a better, that's a more concise way of saying what I was saying. <laughs> Thank you, editor. <laughs> How do you think things change in the workplace for women over 40? Like, what's the trick to showing that you're still relevant? Well, I think it's continuing to learn things. I think that it's continuing to keep your skills updated. I think we become sort of um, inflexible. We're like, oh, I already know that. And you don't really, you know, like, well, we spout off our resumes, right? Like, oh my God, I have all this experience. Because we think it's like embarrassing to have to learn new things when we have to evolve and learn and become adaptable. That's the only way we continue to be relevant and employable. I think that we're afraid of looking like we're foolish, um, like going in for that internship or taking that weed job. You know, both of those were, they were not things that like you would normally do in a traditional trajectory. Um, but I felt like I needed to do them because I didn't want to keep doing what I was doing, which was at that point editing blog posts and managing, you know, written content sites. So I needed to expand my skills. Like, we can go back to school at this age. We could, we can still do anything. It's not over for us, you know? So I think that just having that openness to what do I want to learn? What do I still want to do in this life? What's interesting to me? I think that we forget those things because we get fixed in our thinking. We're older. We deserve a certain amount of respect or we deserve, you know, I think we just get kind of fixed. Hmm. I found the solution for me was to work for myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that's not available to everybody, true, right? True. So I think that thinking about like, just sort of thinking about refreshing, but it not being this like daunting, corny thing, right? Like, I think we think of like, you know, all of these like non-traditional ways as like, oh God, that'll be so embarrassing if I do that. But it's not embarrassing if it's something you really want. You know, when we start our careers, we're like, I'll do anything because I'm just interested in this and I just want to be here. And then that erodes over time. So then we 
we make our world smaller when we really need to be expansive with it. Because look, we're going to be still be working. Like I'm 47. I hope to be working for 20 more years. How do I expand my skills? How do I put my ego aside so that I can get what I want, which is interesting work? And putting your ego aside that way is a really confident move. Uh, yeah, I guess. No, I think, I think it is. I think you've got to have a certain confidence to say, I'm going to start all over again or start with the skills I have and append them to this new gig. It's being self-aware enough to say, this is what I want. This isn't about person X. This isn't about their career trajectory. This is about mine. This is what works for me. And like, I think we're afraid to interrogate ourselves, interrogate the past, like even like take accountability for where we fucked up or mistakes we made, jobs we shouldn't have taken. And so we stay stuck in these old patterns and we have like a kind of soul rot. Yeah. I've been thinking about like how to talk about the elephant in the room, which is the economy currently. But in a way, it's like maybe everything you're saying now actually applies exactly to this moment when you kind of really have to shift your thinking about how to approach jobs because there are entire industries that are being decimated and restructured right now. Yeah, right now, our, all of our job, which I'm not successful at this all the time, but all of our job is to not be fearful. All of our job is to be like, okay, this is going to work out somehow. I don't know how it's going to work out because, and I've said this before, but it's like, it does work out unless you die. <laughs> like, <laughs> it works out somehow. You know? <laughs> like, <laughs> and I think that that's really just sitting with like, oh, this is a moment of pause in some ways. And what can I learn in this pause? Not to be all hippy dippy, but like, what, what can I learn about myself? What, what is this extra time being laid off, collecting unemployment, whatever it is? What can I do with this extra time? Mm -hmm. Well, you kind of talked about this, but um, did things change for you career wise after you had kids? I guess just because thinking about myself, flexibility became much more important and being able to pick them up from school was a really important thing for me because I didn't want them to go to the aftercare program, which not right. judging anybody who has to do aftercare because some people have to totally. do aftercare. But you talked about recently having to take a shift, but how was it when your kids were a bit younger? Oh, you have one daughter. Sorry, I keep saying kids. I have one. No, it's, it's okay. That's, that's all right. Um, the world wanted me to have two, but I didn't. Um, <laughs> I, um, I became better at work once I had a kid, which is antithetical to everything I've been told. And again, these are the myths, right? We're told, oh my God, it's going to be a nightmare. Once you have a kid, working is going to be a nightmare. Oh my God, you're too old to work. Like all these myths, right? I became so much better because I was a deeply unfocused person and I became very focused because I had to be. There was no choice. You know, before we had our daughter, I was like the person who would forget to pay like, you know, the gas bill. And one day my husband would turn on the gas and be like, what? And I'd be like, sorry. You know, so I like really had to pull my shit together. And I did. Um, so I actually became much more focused um, hmm. as as a career person. And to the point that I spent sort of five or six years like that and then totally burn out. Which was, um, that was my next question. Burnout. Burnout. Oof. I mean, what is the question about it? Does it exist? <laughs> yes. Talk about it. <laughs> I, my question was the words, can we talk about burnout? I mean, I feel like at, yeah. at Lucky for the past, the last few years of Lucky, I was just so supremely burnt out. An original idea couldn't have made its way out of my brain. 
no, that's how I felt too. I spent, I spent all those years in corporate life and then I worked at a startup that I knew was going to be sold. So when you're working in a startup that you're looking for an exit on, you're just working like at warp speed to try to get this thing out. Right. So it was two years of just building it up and I knew it. I mean, they told me in the interview, this is what we want. And I was like, yes, yes, please let me work seven days a week. That's what I want. (laughs) Sign me up. And, you know, that was like part of like masochism that I had that I hadn't totally worked out. Because the other thing is we work so many of like our emotional issues out in work. Yes. And I think that like I also was hiding. I like I wanted to work that much because when you're working that much, you can't be accountable for so many things. Like, oh, can't be a great friend working too much. Oh, can't remember to do working too much. You know, all of that stuff. And eventually I had the same thing. I was so burnt out. And instead of recognizing, I think similar to you, instead of recognizing, whoa, I'm burnt out. I need to change something. I just kept going and kept going. My health was failing. I wound up like I had to get all the th- vocal cord surgery because I was, I was working seven days a week and doing speaking gigs. And like, it was nuts. And I wound up like the decision to quit my job was made for me, but I could have made it for myself six months before I knew where I was. I knew that I could barely function anymore. And like, I was just looking at my emails and they were just like coming in and like growing and the swell. And like, I was overwhelmed and tired. And I think that we need to put as much effort into being self-aware that we do into ambition and wanting the next thing. I would have really avoided a lot of misery if I could have just been like, this is not for me anymore. I don't belong here because I knew it. I just avoided it and ran from myself instead. Yeah, I knew, I knew it was time for me to leave Lucky a few years before I did. And I was just terrified. I didn't know what the next step was. The magazine wasn't doing as well by then. And I was afraid to leave. You know, I felt like it would not look good for me to leave a sinking ship. Right. And that's the thing. It's the look good. It's the look good that always gets you, right? How will this look? Will this look good? And, you know, maybe it would have looked bad. But again, you somebody would have hired you. Somebody would have been like, you're. if you wanted that, somebody would have been like, you have value. Or you would have done exactly what you wound up doing, which is starting your own thing. Yeah. It wouldn't have changed that much. You just would have, you would have saved yourself an episode, which I'm sure was unpleasant. <laughs> it wasn't fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, why do we have to learn things the hard way, right? <laughs> it's true. It's true. I did get some severance, and so that was worth it. But otherwise, you know, right. if I had had the kind of self-possession then to just say, you will survive this, you will, you will have success on different terms, it would have been different, right. I think. Yeah, I, I think the same thing for me, too. And like, even for me, I didn't want to take the job that I took, but you know, everybody told me I should, and you know, it was such a fancy and important job and, and I didn't want to, I knew from the jump that I wasn't ready for it. I just spent a year writing a book. I was like super mushy. I didn't really want to go back into women's content and I did it anyway because it looked good. Right. We got to focus less on the look good. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Mm. I'm trying to find a really clever and pithy way to wrap it up. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) 
I mean, I'm just going to say that I have a question about the vitamin C powder. (laughs) (laughs) So does everyone. (laughs) No, listen, why can't I just buy vitamin C powder? Well, that's what I did, but it doesn't work as well. Or I don't know, because I am not doing a comparative study, but I'm just saying I bought only vitamin C powder and it wasn't as good. And I think Kim used the real deal and it was good. That is true. I'm using the real deal and I like it. Mm. Yeah, it makes you glowy, right? Yeah, I like it. I mean, but I also use oil. Like all your beauty people are like everything I do, they would be like thumbs down. Like (laughs) I can't. Oh, yeah. We did say that we were going to start a new feature. Like give us your one most amazing beauty product. Everyday oil. Who made that? That's the name of it? I think it's just called Everyday Oil. I don't know who makes it. It comes (laughs) in a big bottle. I buy it in bulk. (laughs) I don't know. I use it on everything, my hair, my my face, everything. Okay, we'll put that in the show notes. That sounds really vague. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to find gonna, it. You're going to have to. If I Google ha- everyday oil, nothing is going to come up. Olive oil is going to come up. All right, well, I'll send you a link. All right. And how should people find you? Oh, I'm, um, I don't care if they find me, but I if know, they want to, I'm, people um, do. They I'm like Jen. <laughs> if they want to find me, I'm Jen Romolini across everything. J-E-N-N-R-O-M-O-L-I-N-I. I know it That's feels it. silly, but people like to. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, if they want to find me, they'll, they'll see what they get. But, you know. <laughs> 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 Thanks so much for listening to Everything is Fine. We are your hosts, Tally Bacassis And Kim France. If you like the show, be sure to rate it and register a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have suggestions for show ideas or anything else, email us at tallyandkim at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram that is EIF Podcast, and you can find Kim on her blog, girlsofacertainage.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 